Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 55. We have to signal to the world and to global trading relationships our wish to enhance and return to the strong position that the UK has had historically. I'm Depesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Happy New Year to our listeners and what a year it has been already. Today, we're running our first podcast of 2021, the 55th episode of Trade Finance Talks, and we're talking about Japan. Japan is the third largest economy in the world and one of the most open economies with 4% of global GDP. It was once perceived a difficult market to enter and it has, over the past 30 years, grown to be a global powerhouse from the automotive and agriculture industries to digital trade and innovation. Today's podcast focuses on the Free Trade Agreement, FTA, with Japan, more specifically referred to as the Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement, or CEPA. The UK and Japan are major investors in each other's economies, ranking fifth and sixth respectively for inward foreign direct investment. The UK left the EU and concluded the transition period at the end of 2020. Signing new FTAs has been integral to the UK government. And on the 23rd of October 2020, the UK signed its first post-Brexit agreement with Japan. So what are the key changes versus the EU-Japan CEPA? And what's the extent of the trade liberalisation in this new deal? With that in mind, and in preparation for City and Financial Global's conference, the UK-Japan Free Trade Summit, on the 20th of January, I'm delighted to be joined by Sir David Wright, Chair of the City UK's Japan Market Advisory Group. Sir David is former Senior Advisor at Barclays, the past UK Ambassador to Japan, and the first Chief Executive of the Department for International Trade, which was then known as UK Trade and Investment. Sir David, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Very nice to be here with you. Great. So to start off with, we'll we'll do a brief introduction. So who are you, where are you from, and what do you do? Okay. And actually, in some ways, given the nature of the subject we are talking about, that's a very relevant question. I was a junior diplomat in the embassy in Tokyo in the late 1960s, and I was responsible for commercial, economic, and financial affairs. In some ways, that appointment signaled the direction of my uh, work over the years. Since then, I uh, went to be a diplomat in the embassy in Paris. I then returned to Tokyo when I was at a more senior position as the middle manager responsible for financial and economic affairs. And then in the mid-1990s, I was made ambassador to Japan, and it won't surprise you or anybody listening to this to know that I spent a good deal of my time developing 
our trade and investment relationship. And I was very lucky insofar as when I was there in the 1980s, it was the beginning of the great wave of Japanese investment into the UK. I was heavily involved, and particularly in the original investment by Nissan into the area in the northeast of England. And that carried on. And I'm happy to say that um, having uh, left government service in 2002, and I joined Barclays Bank, and since joining Barclays, and since that time, focusing upon trade and investment with Japan, I have developed those activities further. So that I'm now, as you said at the beginning, Deepish, I'm now chairman of the City UK's Japan Market Advisory Group. So Japan has been part of my life and my work, and I continue to get great pleasure from dealing with it. Can you give us an overview from a Japanese perspective then to start off with of the trading landscape out there? What does the Japanese economy rely on and also when it comes to imports and exports? As you've just asked the question, the Japanese economy has relied, since I was first there in the 1960s, has relied very heavily upon a trade in natural resources uh, because Japan first uh, made its mark in the global economy by being a major developer of iron and steel and chemicals. And that developed into the motor industry and into other parts of uh, consumer durables. But things have moved on a good deal since then. It's very important, of course, not to underestimate the role that the Japanese motor industry has played in the UK, Toyota and uh, Nissan and Honda. But they're also now and have been really since I was there in the 1990s as ambassador, they've been very concerned to access what they see as the opportunities which exist in the UK to exploit uh, high technology and the innovative style of British companies. And so uh, one of the features of the new CEPA, which is very important for Japan and the UK, they should extend the nature of our relationship into new directions and also into directions which support one another. Thanks very much. And I guess closer to home for Japan, Japan's the largest trading partner of the CPTPP, representing, I think, 28% of total trade. And the CPTPP is one of the world's largest free trade areas as well, representing 13% of global GDP. So how does Japan benefit from this agreement? It's a question, actually, if I might say so, which is how does Japan and the UK benefit from the CTPPP angle? On the one hand, it's very important for the relationship which exists in Asia Pacific to be given more life and more activity as a central feature of international trade. And secondly, it's very important, I think, that we should emphasize that the CEPA with the UK provides an opportunity, we believe, for the UK to become part, to become a more active part in that Asia-Pacific trade relationship. And in doing that, I think we can signal for Japan and signal for other trading nations in Asia, the influence which we have as one of the major free trading nations of the world, and equally one of the nations that has close historic ties with markets in that area. 
Thanks, Sir David. And, and let's go on now to talk a bit more about the UK's relationship with the Asia-Pacific region. How does the UK's future trade strategy, now that the UK has left the EU, lie around increasing longer-term trade and investment with the Asia-Pacific region as a whole? And, and why is this relationship important now? A good question. And it's important because we have to signal to the world and to global trading relationships our wish to enhance and return to the strong position that the UK has had historically in global trade, and not just in global goods trade. Global goods trade is very important. And I know that the Secretary of State for International Trade uh, wishes to ensure that we don't lose any of our role in global goods trade, which we won't, but it goes further than global goods trade. And I think one of the most important features of the CEP is the new focus that we've given to digital trade and also to data trade. And these are the growing features of international globalization. And they are features in which the UK already has a strong and influential position, which we wish to develop with Japan as part of the CEPA and also with Japan as uh, part of the CPTPP's activity. Can you go into a little bit more detail on digital and data trade, the importance it plays within UK exports and also how that impacts its role within Asia Pacific? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think one of the crucial issues in a digital trade is uh, regulation. There has been a bit of a tendency over recent years to deprive businesses of freedom to store data in the most secure spaces and to oblige them to load their data, store their data on local servers. What I think is important about the digital oblique data trade phenomenon now, this is a new and potentially very exciting part uh, of trade for countries like the UK and Japan. And what we need to do is to accept the implications of globalization for digital and data trade and free it up so that companies no longer feel they are under an obligation to use or to employ measures of localization in terms of digital trade, but are able to operate in a much wider spectrum of markets. And what do you think are the biggest challenges right now that the UK needs to overcome and also adopt with other markets around the world to enable this? That's an interesting question because it's got two sides to it, I think. On the one side, uh, we are now uh, nearly two weeks into the period of the UK having gone through Brexit and operating on its own internationally. Uh, It's very important for ministers. It's very important for business leaders in the UK to ensure that they give a sense of self-confidence in the future with the UK as an independent operator in global trade. But equally, I think it's very important. We should emphasize the role that the UK has played historically as one of the major, which is, after all, what this conference is all about, one of the major free trading nations of the world. And that is where we need to make our mark and stamp our our brand. So that's one side. The other side is to encourage our Japanese friends because we have an existing strong relationship with Japan. And, you know, we have a a trade of many billions of pounds, 13 
13 billion of pounds in general and 4 billion for financial services. We need to remind the Japanese of their success in that bilateral trading relationship and of the opportunities which we are committed to maintaining and extending. Thanks, Sir David. I think that leads nicely into, into my next question. And, and I guess in referring back to your, your previous role as ambassador to Japan, can you give us a, a bit of an overview of Britain's history and trading relationship with Japan? Well, um, a whistle stop tour. A whistle stop. Well, the whistle stop starts in the middle of the 19th century when Japan was first opened up to foreign trading nations and foreign trading companies. It carries straight on to the, the 1920s when we were signatories of a bilateral trading relationship and political relationship with Japan through a UK-Japan treaty. There was then, of course, the difficulties of the 1930s and 1940s. And when I first went to Japan in 1966 and started working on trade relations in 1968, this was a pretty limited market for the UK. It was one in which there was some recognition of the high value branded goods which the UK had. We used to sell a certain number of motor vehicles to Japan in those days. But it was really in the 1980s the situation changed uh, significantly after the Plaza Accord and after the recognition uh, globally of Japan's uh, international position as a major global trading nation. Then it went to where we were, Deepish, in terms of what you mentioned earlier on, when we suddenly found ourselves developing the UK as a centre for Japanese investment, Japanese manufacturing investment. In those days, we benefited from our position as the leader in Europe. We now are no longer a member of the European Union, but that's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't, as I said earlier about digital and data trade, we shouldn't demonstrate to the Japanese that we can be their partners in a very important way for the future, the future growth areas of international trade. Yes, absolutely, Sir David. So I guess looking at the bilateral relationship between the UK and Japan now, what does the recently negotiated FTA SEPA mean and how does it compare with the previous relationship we had? The SEPA means several things. First of all, the great thing about the SEPA is it was done very quickly. We were able to enhance. It's quite interesting, actually. The very fact of people not being able to travel between countries in order to conduct negotiations, that was a benefit because the negotiations were, in, in effect, continued online and they were continued online very quickly. As a result of SEPA, we've mentioned uh, CPTPP as one area which brings the UK into this existing relationship with Japan. But additionally, they were, and we've mentioned digital trade, we should also be aware that we've enhanced regulatory cooperation. Only recently, we've had another exchange between the two finance ministries to bring our approach to regulation into the same position. We've enhanced the capacity to liberalize movements of high quality workers between the two countries and an acceptance of the roles that they play in enhancing global recognition of uh, trading success. I guess from a business perspective, so major corporates right through to SMEs, entrepreneurs, and first-time exporters, what are the new benefits the FTA can bring to them? Well, I think there are 
if I can find, try and search for three benefits. First of all, there is no doubt at all that the CDPA has attracted a lot of international focus. That international recognition which exists for the Japan-UK relationship, which was carried in all the media over the new year, is very important. That's point one. Point two, as I said earlier on, is that we need to enhance the search for new markets globally by UK companies. And the search for those UK companies includes not just great corporations, but a lot of small and medium-sized businesses. And I think that we will find the SMEs in the UK and the SMEs in Japan will see attractions from doing business with the UK. And then there is the, the data uh, the data element, which I mentioned earlier on, which is a wholly new part of international trade where we do well and where we can do better in the future. Thanks very much. So what's the role of the City UK's Japan Market Advisory Group, which you chair? The City UK, as you know, is really the main central force in monitoring and influencing the attitudes of UK government to the main markets that the UK has internationally. And one of those is Japan, as I've been seeking to emphasize. And what we do really is provide an opportunity for the private sector to meet together and to identify the issues about trade with Japan, which are of importance to them. And then as a result of that, we seek to influence the formulation of government policy towards trade with Japan. And before the, or in the process of formulating the CEPA agreement with Japan, the JMAG, as we call it, the Japan Market Advisory Group, was very influential in forming HMG of the issues which were important to the private sector and ensuring that they were taken into account in the negotiations with the Japanese. Thanks very much, Sir David. And I guess just to conclude a lot of the points that we've mentioned in today's podcast, do you think the UK should be using this UK-Japan CEPA as a blueprint for future trade agreements? I don't think that we need to be too categoric about which is the ideal way of negotiating a trade agreement. You know, markets will change, markets will develop and will offer a whole host of different opportunities. Where I would agree with the implication of what you're saying is that Japan has historically, and I'm, as I said, I'm old enough to remember when Japan was thought to, thought to be a market that nobody dared enter. Historically, Japan has always been seen as a difficult market. It isn't any longer a difficult market. The Japanese market has changed, Japanese consumers have changed, opportunities have grown. But I think that what we have done with the CEPA is demonstrate to UK business, first, that there is an opportunity to be exploited in a market which was hitherto thought to be very difficult. And secondly, that in support of that, the Department for International Trade and the Treasury, the two main departments that uh, are responsible, have been responsible for negotiating the CEPA. Those two departments recognize the opportunities. And secondly, those two departments also seek the advice of the private sector on where they should direct 
their efforts in negotiations. Thank you very much, Sir David, for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. That was a very insightful, I guess, snapshot of the UK and Japan's relationship. And we look forward to hearing a lot more from you at City and Financial Global's conference at their UK-Japan Free Trade Summit on the 20th of January. To our listeners, head over to tradefinanceglobal.com forward slash conferences to find out how you can get involved with this conference. And so, David, we look forward to hearing from you at the conference. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. It was a good practice session for the conference, I think. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com. 